Check, check. Check, one, two, hello. I love seeing it with no noise. This is great. Okay. Are you ready? Oh, oh no. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> just, just slap yourself in oh, the like face. Oh, like snap or something. Okay. okay. One, two, three. How was that? Was it audible? I got a little spike. Okay. Yeah. I'll look for a little spike. I was going to say you could just slap yourself. Fair enough. Okay. Here we are. <laughs> Welcome to the post-production podcast. I'm Kiri. And I'm Rachel. And this is the post-production podcast where two female AV technicians talk about their experiences working in the media production industry and doobiesly critique popular works. Wow. What a delivery. I know. That was, that was actually pretty smooth. So... We've been gone for a while, which is normal for us, but... Um, there is explanation. Where do we start? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, we both had some uh, medical things happen. So, um, listener, if you get queasy from medical stuff, we will not be offended if you need to skip forward. It's okay. I was going to say, go ahead and uh, skip yeah. forward like 15 minutes. <laughs> uh, yeah. Post-production Kiri will put in a timestamp for you. Thanks, Kiri. This is post-production Kiri here to let you know that if you want to skip the story of me getting my wisdom teeth removed and Rachel breaking her arm, you can skip to about the 29-minute, 20-second mark. Uh, if you just want to skip the wisdom teeth, you can skip to about the 12-minute mark. Uh, and then after that, 29 minutes, 30 seconds, you can get to the writer strike. Back to you, Kiri. Who wants to start? Why don't you go, since you were the first? Okay, chronologically. Yeah, I think our last episode we recorded a couple days before I got my wisdom teeth removed. Delightful. So that's that's what happened to me. So my mom and my sister came into town to help out. It was it was a whole, you know, the usual wisdom teeth stuff, like don't uh, eat anything after midnight or whatever, like don't consume anything besides water uh, after midnight and stop drinking water like a couple hours before. Uh, so that morning I was feeling a little queasy because I hadn't, eaten anything and the the appointment was at 10 30 which wasn't early enough in my opinion so that's, that's not too bad yeah it's it, i'm glad it was in the morning but also for sure I, I wanted to just get it over with you know mm-hmm. but rolled up to the oral surgeon and uh paid up front it wasn't as expensive as i was expecting it to be that's nice yeah i only had three wisdom teeth so oh did they give you a discount <laughs> so that helped <laughs> I, well because it's it's priced by the tooth wow and <laughs> i also opted out of the extra numbing stuff because i have a high pain tolerance so it was fine and i later we'll get to this but uh, i hated the numbing feeling once that wore off i started to feel much better but yeah, mm-hmm. I hated feeling them. So props to this office, though. They were very efficient. I sat down in the waiting room for maybe like two seconds before a nurse came out and got me and just like immediately led me through the doors and then poof, double doors were in the surgery area. And there were like rooms were open, like the doors were open. I could see people just laying there like <laughs> there, there were patients just zonked out waiting to be um, treated. And so I, th- she led me into one of the rooms and said, all right, sit down here, and immediately gave me the, the nose thing for oxygen. It's like, put this in, okay. And another nurse was sticking me with all the heart monitor stuff, and another nurse stuck me with the IV, and I was like, wow, okay, this is quick. And then they laid me back, and I closed my eyes for a bit, and then I hear Kiriana, and I whoop, woke up, and it was done. Wow. <laughs> so I never even saw Dr. Surgeon. So I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I, obviously it happened. I mean, for all you know, you still have the wisdom teeth, right? Well, I mean, there there are hole. There's still a hole in the. There are now holes. Yeah. Yeah, I can see the hole on the bottom. I had two in the top and one on the bottom, and I'm glad there was only one on the bottom because that's the harder one to take care of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I woke up and they I sat up and I was shaking because it you you've had a handful of IVs in your life. You know, they, they're, it's cooler than body temperature, so those of us who are uh, prone to getting cold easily, we start to shiver, mm-hmm. apparently. So I, I remember, like, when I sat up, I was like, whoa, I'm shaking. And so the, the, the nurses were like, it'll be okay, That'll you'll warm up, it'll be fine. They helped me walk down the hallway, and it was like a, an epic action sequence or something, because... At the end of the hallway, there were these double doors. They open, and boom, there's my mom in the car, passenger door open, ready for me to just hop right in. Wow. Pretty much. They do have the efficiency down to a T. Oh, yeah. 
yeah, they've done this a million times. And I remember the nurse talking to my mom. All I remember her saying was she's shaking. Um, and, uh, you know, my mom was fully in mom mode for this, of course. And so she later told me it was disturbing to see <laughs> me shaking like a maraca for sure. <laughs> Apparently, all I did on the drive home was correct the way Siri was pronouncing street names. That's hysterical. Sounds sounds about right. And apparently I asked a lot of questions about like what resources my mom had. Like, did they give you a pamphlet or like anything like that? Which apparently I later asked once the, the drugs had worn off. Uh, and my mom was like, yes, we already had this conversation. And then I, when we got back to my place, I was concerned about getting up the stairs because I live on a third floor apartment with no elevator. And I was like, if I'm going to be basically asleep, it's going to be really hard to get all the way up. But apparently, and I don't remember this at all, I just grabbed onto the handrails and zoomed up <laughs> like it was nothing. <laughs> and and you know, my sister later told me, like, we weren't worried that you weren't going to make it. We were worried that we couldn't keep up with you. <laughs> you were just going. Wow. Yeah. Got back to my couch and laid there, took a nap. Woke up, ate some semblance of lunch, went back to sleep, coughed myself awake, and then I was pretty cognizant the rest of the day. So it wasn't as bad as I was anticipating, but it, it got done. Uh, and then the next week is when I started doing the the syringe. So they give you like this little mm -hmm. uh, yeah syringe for you to squirt salt, salt water into the uh, the lower holes. Uh, I only had one, so just one hole, and. I started doing that a few days later, and it did not, it, it was not clear to me. I, I had poured over all of the material for, like, how to take care of myself, because it did not, it was unclear that you have to stick the syringe into the hole to clear out all of the food particles, because it just says spray the salt water into the hole. I was like, okay, so I just point and, and that's it. So, yeah, by, that was Monday. By Wednesday, I was starting to get really concerned about a bad taste in my mouth, and it was it was it was starting to get pretty bad. So I called the after hours helpline, and nobody picked up. Interesting. And so I just waited for them to call me back. Well into the next morning, until finally, I the next day I just called the office, and uh, whoever answered was like, "Well, it sounds like you're doing everything correctly, so just keep doing what you're doing, and all of that that bad taste will go away." which is bad advice because after the office closed that day, I was on my way home from work. I was getting at the gas station. I was getting gas. The after hours helpline called me back and they were like, sorry, our phones were down yesterday. I was like, of course they were. Um, but I explained what was going on and they said, oh, sounds like you're very close to an infection. <laughs> so why don't you, we'll take you tomorrow morning and we'll show you how to properly rinse out the the incision. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay. So I went in the next morning, slightly less efficient because I wasn't getting surgery or anything, but it was still fairly quick. But yeah, the the nurse showed me how to stick the syringe into the hole. It was disgusting. I won't describe it in detail, but yeah, yeah, it was <laughs> it was pretty bad. Uh, but I felt much better after that. And then a couple days later, I started to get the bad taste in my mouth again and the same feeling in the uh, the incision above the one on the bottom. So it was the one on the top, and I had to irrigate that one as well. Yeah, the, the nurse was like, because I called again. I called the after-hours line like four or five times. But they were like, well, um, it sounds like you do need to irrigate the top one. It's very rare that food gets stuck in there, but it could happen. So go ahead and do that. I was just a rare case. And then the next week, I just happened to have a dentist appointment. And Dr. Dentist wasn't even there, so all I got was a cleaning. But the hygienist was like, yeah, you're, the, those uh, holes on the right side are very big compared to what it normally looks like. So I'll just need to keep, like, I'm still irrigating that's probably smart. At this point, it's been a month. It's been a month, and there's still holes. I just need to keep cleaning them out until the holes close up. Just taking forever. 
I'm, I'm a notoriously patient person. If it makes you feel better, I'm, I had this a similar problem when I had wisdom teeth surgery. Like, I think... Oh, uh, yes. I took a very long time to heal. So, like, I don't think it's, like, abnormal. Because wisdom teeth surgery, like, they do so much work to, like, normalize it because most people have to have it. Yeah. That, like, sometimes it is not included in the educational materials that, like, hey, your wisdom teeth experience might differ... From what from we everybody say is the else's. average yeah. experience. Yeah. Yeah, my mom was like, I don't remember any of this happening with me. <laughs> yeah. But she was also like, you also probably won't remember this 10, 15 years from now. But now it is recorded. It is, I, I did try to like type it out, uh, like journal the experience, <laughs> just to have it in written form as well. I've forgotten about that, so I need to finish it. But yeah, so it's there. Like as I told people, hey, I'm getting rem- my wisdom teeth removed on this day. The people who were like, oh, that'll be horrible, were either men with, you know, low pain tolerances or people who got their wisdom teeth out like 50 plus years ago. So <laughs> I, I was pretty confident that it wouldn't be quite as bad as those people described with any luck. And like it wasn't like the, the pain was more annoying than it was inhibitive. Right. Yeah. How long were you out of work? Um, I went back f- five days later. So That's not too bad. Yeah, I got surgery on a Thursday, went back the next Tuesday. Probably should have waited until Wednesday. Valid. <laughs> but, like, I was functional. And what was I going to do? Not work? Valid. So, that's my wisdom teeth story. I might remember stuff as we uh, go throughout this episode. <laughs> Fair. But Back in now. So, uh... Yeah, I th- that was that was my thing that happened. Um, I I got something removed from me. Rachel got something mm. very broken. She's about to get something added. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> this is post production. Kiri back once again to remind you that if you want to skip the story of Rachel's broken arm, skip to about twenty nine minutes and twenty seconds. Yeah, because pretty much right after Kiri had wisdom teeth surgery, and we, like, did we record our episode, like, right before you? Like, right before, yeah. Yeah, we, like, purposely recorded an episode because we knew Kiri was getting surgery. Yeah, I was like, Rachel, we have to we have to do this, otherwise I'm, I'm going to forget how to edit eventually. <laughs> yeah, valid. And then pretty much immediately after, like, Kiri successfully has surgery and isn't dead afterwards, I had quite the experience begin (laughs) and this is like actually very directly production related but here is like my disclaimer before i tell this story number one i don't want any safety and osha bros coming at me for this one because i am openly going to recognize throughout this story that what happened to me was number one an accident but like Number two, like, yes, there's always ways we can do safety on sites better. So, like, don't come at me. I'm aware that what happened was unsafe, and I am suffering the consequences of it. So, with that said, here's my brief story. Not brief. Buckle up, friends and neighbors. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And again, if you are medically squeamish, maybe don't listen to, like, the second half of this story. Cool. But uh, we, we open the curtain upon a scene set on a construction site because the church that I work for is building like a new building um, for one of our campuses. And I mean building from scratch. Like the site was, you know, flat ground a year ago and is now like a building. (laughs) That's how it works. It does indeed. Um, So (laughs) I was in there because we're, we're starting to like we're starting to run cables for all of our AV integration and installation, right? So like- Exciting. We're running network cables for the projectors and, you know, we're running coax and all that. And so I was on the stage um, at the top of like probably a 12 foot A-frame ladder and I was running super, super heavy and shielded speaker wire. And if you have never hauled hundreds of feet of speaker wire from the floor to the ceiling while also being kind of a travel-sized person. (laughs) I don't want to hear your opinions about how much one should or should not struggle with speaker wire. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So we were running, and I'm talking like a long, like 
we're pulling a full auditorium length of speaker wire off of the roll and through the walls and the ceilings, right? So it's like not my most favorite part of AV production, but you know, I'll do it in the name of like installing stuff and getting a venue up and running. So I'm at the top of this ladder, um, pulling the run through the stage ceiling, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And in order to kind of offset like the massive amount of weight on this cable, I was running a couple coils of it around my shoulder before I let the rest of it down to the ground, if that made sense. So like I'm offsetting the weight halfway from the floor to the ceiling on myself, which is unsafe. Uh, It's not great. So like if you are a small person and then you throw large amounts of weight onto yourself to make them easier to pull, it works until you need to move, as I discovered. So I took a couple of steps back down the ladder to come down to the ground and pretty instantly overbalanced and fell the rest of the way and caught myself on my elbow, which is where like the fairly squeamish rest of the story begins. Because of course, like everyone on site hears the fall and immediately like comes running yeah you know i've never seen scissor lifts come down from the ceiling that quickly like the electrician was like the first guy down he's like are you okay like what happened i'm like and i'm like kind of in shock and i had hit the ground so hard that my whole arm had gone numb oh no so at first i was like maybe i'm fine you know what i mean yeah well and so so. i was like um i don't really know like i can't feel my arm Um, And so everyone else arrives and they're all sort of standing around unsure of what to do. And someone else on site was like, can you move your arm? And I like tried to move it at all. Like it was sort of bent at my side. And I discovered very quickly that I couldn't straighten it out, nor could I like use my fingers. Uh, That's that's not a fracture. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, something is wrong. Like, and so that was the moment where I was like, I think I'm actually hurt. But of course, like in my mind, I was still kind of hyper-focused on the task I had been doing. And I knew I had one more cable left to pull. So they're like, well, do you want to go get x-rayed? Like if you're hurt? And I was like, well, like, I don't want to waste the rest of the workday. Like, I still have the rest of this cable to pull. And <laughs> luckily, someone much smarter and in less pain than me was like, that's stupid. Good, Like, good. we'll figure out the cable. Like, you go get taken care of. Yeah, you fell off a ladder. That's a that's a thing. Yeah, it, it, it was a significant length of fall. Like, and I caught my entire weight on my elbow. So I'm glad. How, yeah, how far did you fall? Do you know? <sighs> Probably somewhere between like six and nine feet. Oh man. Like it, it wasn't it wasn't short for sure. So I went to urgent care because at this point, like I was kind of just thinking maybe my my arm was dislocated somewhere. Maybe they just need to like put my shoulder back in and I'll be like good and groovy. And I went to urgent care, they x-rayed it, and they were like, Yeah, based well, and and based on the fact that I like couldn't even move my arm for them to x-ray it properly they were like yeah it's probably broken and then when they got the x-rays back they were like oh like you fractured your radius like we're gonna put you in a temporary splint and like you'll go see an orthopedic doctor sometime in the next week and like they'll put you in a proper cast and so i'm thinking like cool like i just like broke my arm like that's a thing people do all the time Mm -hmm. but then i was just like in an inordinate amount of pain couldn't really sleep couldn't really like move easily like and I was like this this is like abnormal so and I was on a lot of medication too and it like just felt like it wasn't helping at all yeah so I went to my primary care doctor and he was like oh well if it's just a fracture like it'll get better like just take some ibuprofen you need a new primary care doctor (laughs) I mean, this is a diss of Rachel's primary care doctor. <laughs> to be to be clear, like he's not an orthopedic specialist. Like I can't like he was just reading the records that were given to him. And so I was like, you know what? Like if he says it's fine, it's fine. 
So I didn't get in to see an orthopedic doctor until six days after I fell, which is kind of a long time. Yeah, especially to be in that much pain. Yeah, and sure enough, I walked in and the ortho shakes my hand, introduces himself, and then immediately goes, yeah, you need surgery. And I was like, um, what? Because in my head, I'm thinking, oh, like, I just, like, fractured my arm. Like, I'm going to, like, get in a cast and it's going to suck for a few weeks and then it'll be fine. And he explained to me that, like, based off the scans, essentially, I, like, completely crushed the head of my radius in my forearm. So, like, when I hit the ground and I hit my elbow, the impact was so large that I crushed in my radial head and I fractured my other bone too. And so he's showing me the x-ray and he's like, yeah, this doesn't look great, but like we need more scans and like you need to go see a surgeon. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. I go and I get the scan. He looks at the scan and he's like, yeah, there are literally fragments of bone floating around in your arm right now. Like (sighs) this is bad. I can't believe you didn't get in to see us sooner. And I was like, girl, me neither. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Not your fault, though. Yeah, I'm like, I understand that neither of us have a lot of control over this situation, but this is rough. So he sends me to see a surgeon who, of course, immediately agrees and is like, yeah, this is bad. So because I'm like pretty young to have broken like my elbow in this way, I am seeing a surgeon who specializes in reconstructing bones with just screws and the bone itself. My rudimentary understanding from what was explained to me by multiple medical professionals is like, if I was in my 40s and had broken my bone this way, they would just put in an artificial implant of some sort. Mm. And I would like, you know, live the rest of my days with that in my elbow. But because I'm 23 and they want to like, restore as much functionality and mobility as possible and not set me up to have to get multiple elbow surgeries. Yeah. They were like, you should at least try to get screws put in. And like, if I get in there and like the bone fragments are too small or too fragile for them to screw back in, then we'll go at it from other angles. But yeah, that's that's what I'm up against right now. The moral of the story is accidents happen. That's okay. And if you're standing on a ladder, have a spotter. Yeah. Somebody strong enough to catch you, at least. Or at least break my fall. Yeah. I'll break their elbow. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. Are you still working? I am. um, Definitely not working at full capacity. Like, so I was in a splint for a while, and then I was in a cast. um, And then they actually took me back out of the cast and put me in just a sling. There were a number of reasons, but like... Number one, they need me to, like, disinfect my arm multiple times a day leading up to the surgery Mm -hmm. so that they have as sterile a field as possible. But I also think because, like, we're so far out now from when the fracture happened, they're trying really hard to get my arm to not heal, if that makes sense. Yeah, because they don't want it to heal back in the wrong place. Yeah, because normally you're supposed to have the kind of surgery I'm getting within, like, 14 days, yeah, if not, like, within seven Um, But because, like, it wasn't quite caught and communicated with appropriate urgency, like, I'll be having surgery roughly on, like, day 15. So I think, like, my doctor is, he's keeping me in a sling so that, like, I can still move around and, like, have some mobility with my other arm and stuff and not just be bedridden for the next five days. Yeah. But it's been interesting, like, while I had the cast on, I wanted nothing more than to just have the cast off Hmm. it's very uncomfortable to like have a super heavy cast yeah especially because with the type of break i have the cast was from shoulder to fingers yeah so like i couldn't move Anything. anything and it was heavy and itchy and i couldn't sleep and all the drama and so i complained about it nonstop. and then i got it off and now i'm like i want it back on because it's a lot harder to move now that the broken arm is loose again Because before I could like walk easily, get in and out of my car easily um, because the arm that is broken was immobilized. Um, So it was a lot harder to make it hurt. You didn't have to worry about it. Yeah. Yeah. And now like I have to be pretty careful moving around, bending over, etc. 
that I don't like bonk my arm on things. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's been kind of a trip. I I think there's a lot that I will actually like get benefits from in this situation in that like I will be definitely ambidextrous by the end of this experience. Yeah, right. It's your right arm, isn't it? Yeah, I did break my dominant arm. Um, and I can't use my hand at all still. Wow. So like I have been learning to write with my left hand. I can run a soundboard with one hand now, which like I actually am pretty proud of myself for that one. <laughs> at first I was very concerned about like how this would impact my work. Yeah. Because I mean, like I talked on the podcast just a couple episodes ago about how I got diagnosed with arthritis and that already had been kind of limiting me in my work. I can't throw around heavy things anymore. Like load in loadouts for things are a lot harder because, you know, I'm limited in mobility. And then this happens. And this is like the ultimate mobility limit. Yeah. So I like challenged myself this last week, even though I know like I'm sort of just temporarily at work right now doing a lot of desk work and the rest of the time I'm doing like small tasks that one can do with one hand, which is kind of not a lot in our field, especially like because I lean a little bit more towards live events and system maintenance in my job description, whereas like I know, Kiri, like you, you do a, a fair amount of like video editing and yeah. stuff like that. So for me, it's not like I have like a, I don't have a stack of media that has been waiting to get edited, unfortunately. So I've sort of like been picking my battles in terms of what are things that I want to try to learn to do with one hand, mm-hmm. such as operating a soundboard like this last week I like started pushing myself to do that and you know like running a sound check in a rehearsal with one hand but then there are definitely other things that I have just like had to force myself to admit that I can't do at this juncture I have not been back to the construction site to pull any more cables because good that's not something I can safely do with one arm yeah I mean, at least you got your coffee with one arm. Yeah, true. It's an essential skill. Making coffee with one arm was at the top of the list of things to learn quickly. Yeah. (laughs) How long is the recovery time after the surgery? I'm not sure. Um, Like, I think the initial, like, time frame of being flat in bed and dead to being functional in some capacity is probably one or two weeks. And I'll be in a cast for... A period of time after the surgery and then I'll be in like a brace that will give me a little bit more mobility so we can like mm-hmm. incrementally add that back like one of those like one, one of those, those old... bionic yeah. arm brace looking things yeah yeah and then like it could be anywhere from like four weeks to 12 weeks in terms of how long I'm casts and braces it a lot of it really depends on like how well I heal and how quickly I heal yeah. Because um, I think there are people that recover from radial head injuries pretty quickly post surgery. But there also is a possibility, like, just with the specific way I broke mine, that, like, it will take me a little longer to get bending again. Well, and all of your other problems might interfere with that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the other tough part is I'm like, okay, I was, um, already chronically ill before this like I yeah feel like I didn't need any complicating medical things to happen but you live and you learn yeah my wisdom teeth story was really lame (laughs) so yeah again moral of the story to anyone in the production world listening practice safety yes please aggressively practice safety because this incident is like one of the few times in a long time that I have been on a ladder without a spotter hmm. and it it just takes one time yeah for you to not go the full mile with safety for something bad to happen mm-hmm. i try to communicate this story in a way that shows like yes i am aware of the unsafety of the initial situation but i also am living with the after effects of it so I want to ensure that it is hopefully a moment that like me and others can learn from. But I also am not offering it up on this platform so that I can receive lectures from people. Yeah, she knows. Okay, listener, don't <laughs> don't be sliding into her DMs like should have gone under that ladder, huh? <laughs> <laughs> like that. Anyways, 
Also on the topic of production, an interesting thing that has been happening while Kiri and I have both been healing. Even before that. And before that even, a a rapidly developing story are the strikes in Hollywood. Let's talk about it. Yes. So, yeah, I've been perusing articles about it. And very few have provided actual context for why these are happening. Basically, the gist of it is um, in the wake of streaming becoming the, the pri- basically the primary way people consume TV and movies, writers' incomes have decreased quite a bit and producers have prioritized uh, quality quantity <laughs> over quality. And... Uh, the writers are sick of it. Yeah. And so they went on strike starting May May 2nd. And they're still striking. And last week, the Screen Actors Guild joined them for similar reasons. Decreased pay and just terrible producers wanting money. So this article by Vulture.com says, The WGA demands increased minimum compensation in all areas of media, increased residuals, appropriate TV series writing compensation from pre- to post-production, increased contributions to pension and health plans, the strengthening of professional standards, and the overall protections for writers and more. So both uh, SAG and the WGA, the Writers Guild of America, same article says both are fighting for an increased MBA, which is a minimum, let me find it, minimum basic agreement, which is like minimum wage, because producers have started paying less than that, producers and studios. So both are fighting for an increased MBA with SAG asking for an 11% increased minimum in year one and 4% in each of the following years. The actors are also looking for increased residuals due to the general impact that streaming has had on the often primary source of actors' incomes. Kimiko Glenn of Orange is the New Black recently shared a video featuring a check of $27.30 to show the need for an increase in residuals for streaming shows. So the residual paychecks are basically the money that actors get after a show has already been aired and people rewatch it over and over again on streaming. Mm -hmm. So actors get an incredibly small amount of money from that. As far as the writers are concerned, the... uh, some of the big issues are that there's obviously the pay decrease, but also writers are only being hired for one draft and then they're let go. Oh. Yeah. So that's called mini room, I think is what it's called. That's where writers who might be very talented are given a draft within the bounds of what the producer wants. And if the producer likes it, then they might keep the writer on for another draft. If they don't like it, then that's it. Mm. Even if they do like it, they could still be let go. So it's it's not a good environment at all. The WGA cast a vote to go on strike, and it was a 97.85% voted yes for going on strike. So if almost 98% of your writers want to strike, then something is wrong. But there have also been comments from the AMPTP, which is the... Uh, Association of Motion Picture and Television Producers. So this is who they are striking against. So the AMPTP is the the big CEOs, basically. Mm-hmm. And they have basically said multiple representatives of multiple studios. So like Disney, Fox, um, what are some of the other big ones? Uh, Netflix. Netflix, yeah. Mm-hmm. Disney and Netflix are the big, the big ones that people oh, are super Warner mad Brothers. at. Oh, and Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers, yep. So those are, those are the big names. Um, Representatives from all of those studios have said, we're just going to let it bleed out. We're just going to wait until they can't afford to live anymore, <laughs> basically. And then they'll come back. And well, and they, a lot of producers don't even want the writers to come back because now AI is a thing. Mm-hmm. So they can just, you, you can just put in a prompt and an AI will write a script for you. And well, and the, the whole AI discussion is a whole other can of worms. But that's another issue is that. Like, why do we need writers when we can save money by using AI to write scripts? Or maybe we can hire a writer for one outline, one job, and then send that outline through an AI, and then the AI writes a script, and then it's fine. That will speed up production. That will save us lots of money, which they don't need to do. Somebody, 
did you see there's like a there's a post going around the list of like the appallingly small percentage yes yes it, was it zach who budget? shared that yeah it was, it was yeah yeah there's a, let me find that so yeah a friend of ours from college reposted a post where somebody did the math uh, for how much it would cost each studio to pay what the writers and actors are asking for like how what percentage of their like net worth it would cost Mm -hmm. just to pay what the writers and actors are asking for and they're not asking for a lot (laughs) in the grand scheme of things they're just asking for more than poverty yeah well and I think a, a lot of people have pushed back on the strike pointing out like all the famous actors that I know are you know a listers and they're making millions off of their sh- their films. There are lots of other actors in the world, though, and there's yeah, exactly. Like there are a lot of people in the unions, um, the Screen Actors Guild, et cetera, et cetera. Like there are like a hundred and sixty thousand members of this union, um, including background actors, singers, dancers stunt performers it's the background people that get yeah. paid nothing already and i saw a stat on i think hollywood reporter that said only 12 percent of sag members make 20 make the annual twenty six thousand dollars a year needed to qualify for union health insurance Twenty six thousand. yeah listen to that nothing. again like these actors are pulling in 12 percent of people make that much yeah of actors less than twenty six thousand dollars a year acting if you wouldn't be willing to live on that number or less pursuing your desired career then maybe rethink coming at actors and writers for asking for something more than poverty yeah 97.85 percent of writers well and i guess you're talking about actors but 97.85 percent of writers wanted to strike 12 percent of actors make just enough to qualify for health insurance and other benefits so yeah, <laughs> of course they're upset. I'm someone who has done a lot of script writing, and um, I, I I feel for these writers because uh, basically the I I know how difficult it is to write something well without big name producers looming over me, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I can't imagine that pressure and plus like we recently talked about uh quantumania and how that was that really felt like a rush job and a lot of people th- th- that's part of the conditions that the wga is is complaining about is that you're making us rush we're not giving quality work and we're making flops and you guys still aren't paying us enough so th- this is one of those issues that it's it's rather difficult for me to talk about it without getting angry mm-hmm. but i i feel for these people I have also done some acting as well. As far as actors are concerned, the many, many background actors, another AI issue I've seen floating around is uh, studios are like, we could just hire a background actor for one day and just like record them in front of a green screen. And then we just copy and paste that into every movie and TV show that needs a background person. So like we don't need to pay extras anymore. No matter how often their image is used, those actors would only get paid for the one day, mm-hmm. which, and of course we know they would get paid nothing, nothing. Um, I couldn't find that graphic. <laughs> yeah, no, I couldn't either. But I think it's fair to look at an issue like this. Union issues are like really hot button and divisive and polarizing in the media. So is the AI conversation. I mean, obviously we have opinions and it's our podcast, so we're going to share our opinions Yeah, because yeah. like, We like to discuss this stuff because it's interesting, but I think it's easy to look at an issue like this and say, you know, these unions are already pulling in so much money, like they don't need any more, like blah, 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 blah. But we also need to think much like the music industry or other portions of entertainment, the landscape of media and what consumers are consuming is changing so much. Yeah. We're no longer in the era where you can only see a movie in a theater or when you buy it on DVD. 
And so I think we need to be willing to support the people who are working hard to make this art happen when the medium is changing, the format is changing, the distribution is changing, and we need to recognize that maybe the income needs to change as well. Yeah, and the thing about change in industries is that if you are able to adapt, then you'll be less um, likely to lose your job than people who don't adapt. Another thing I saw, (laughs) a bit of a rabbit trail, uh, CGI artists, somebody was like cgi artists need to go on strike too because like they they are asked so much like again rush jobs and especially if uh if they're given all these background actors that they need to insert into every single movie like i'm sure they don't get paid enough either for the amount of work that takes anyway what was i saying uh change so the writers aren't really given any other opportunities to adapt to the changing landscape because studios are like We'll just get an AI to do it. We we don't need. We just need a person, like a, a small crew of writers, to give us a draft, and then we'll figure it out from there. Like that's it. Uh, we don't need to pay more people. It's bad. <laughs> so there there are very little opportunities for very few opportunities for these writers to to still do what they love, and you know earn a living. Yeah, and there are many sides to every issue, but I think the actors and writers of Hollywood going on strike will have enough of an impact that hopefully both studios and audiences will realize how much having human beings filling these roles contributes to creating vibrant media that people love to engage with. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like I was reading an article just this morning that described the impact that even just the last few weeks of striking will have on film release timelines. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's all fun and games to look at these actors and say, oh, well, you know, like you, you already make money, like just keep being in the films and shut your mouth and don't go on strike. But like when our theaters are empty of new films, of new art being created because studios realize they can't keep up and still make quality art without human beings to do that. Yeah. Like I think, I think that will be a noticeable impact and hopefully one that causes people on all sides to rethink how the film and TV industry is structured. Yes, and the entertainment industry is a large part of culture as well. And so it's kind of disheartening to think of empty theaters, no movies, no TV shows for at least for a while. Probably 2024 is when we'll really start to see, like at least in the spring. I bet the the shows for the fall semester are shows and movies are um already mostly done but i think we'll start to really see the effects in the spring yeah well and the problem is they can't release the films and shows that are already done because the actors are not allowed to participate in any of the press for those things true um for instance like zendaya was slotted to have a film come out this fall like a tennis film or something. It's called Challenger, I believe. And I read this morning that like Challenger has been punted from a fall of 2023 release to a fall of 2024 release, at least, simply because Zendaya is not allowed to promote it in any way because she is on strike now. Well, yeah, and she seems like the kind of person who probably doesn't want to promote it at this point anyway. Yeah, and so the (laughs) tough part is like, Yeah, they could release all of these films and TV shows, but the actors are not allowed to engage with promoting that material or talking about it or interacting with it again in any way, which stinks for that piece of art being released because no one's Mm going to know it's coming out because it's not able to be marketed. But also, it's unfortunate for the actors. Like if, If we release these films and shows... And they can't say anything about it. Like they can't talk with their fans about. Yeah, any part of it that's theirs will be taken away. This hard work that they've done. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think we'll see definitely a huge impact this fall with release timelines, with awards shows coming out. Like if all of mm-hmm. these films are being delayed, they're not going to be eligible for 2023 awards, which will 
vastly changed the landscapes. Watch Barbieheimer be like sweeping all of the awards. <laughs> I mean, I read an article this morning that projects that. Yeah. Like they they were like, look, like if nothing else is able to be released or released with marketing for the rest of the year, then yeah, it's going to be Barbenheimer alone at the awards shows. Yeah. I haven't seen either of those movies yet. We'll talk about it next time. Yeah. I haven't either, but I'm looking forward to it. Oh, yeah. Um, the first shows to be affected by the writer's strike were talk shows, like daytime and uh, nighttime talk shows. Um, so SNL, late night talk shows. Mm -hmm. This article specifically calls out Abbott Elementary, which is a sitcom, uh, which I love that show. If you haven't watched Abbott Elementary, it's on Hulu, and it's very wholesome and great. So I am kind of sad that uh, that has been halted for now but lots of so many good shows have halted production lots of movies have been delayed just everything has been pretty much put to a halt and all because these studios will not be decent to their employees mm -hmm. so yeah sorry i raised my voice there and i've been like like into the microphone <laughs> I'm not used to having a good microphone. Well, and it's tough because like we know that there are so many industries that when you are an entry level employee, like you are just grinding to make it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that's not something that is unique to film and TV. But I have a lot of respect for the people advocating for these union members for being willing to say like, hey, like we know all of us have to work hard to make good products. We know that when you're entry level, it's hard to break into this industry. However, we have standards. You know what I mean? Like people deserve fair pay. People deserve to make enough in the year that they are not below the poverty line and without health insurance. Yeah. So again, like it's a multifaceted issue. It's one with a lot of nuance, but I think Kiri and I like, Without even really discussing it before recording, like we both land on the same page. Yeah, because Rachel was like, "Let's talk about the writer strike," and I was like, "Yes," and that, yeah. that was it. Yeah. So I am looking forward to seeing how it develops. Not because I'm like, "Oh, the strike is awesome!" I'm so glad they're striking. I'm looking forward to seeing how it develops because I am choosing to be optimistic that it will develop with benefits for all involved. Yes. This article here has some resources that you can use to support the strike. I will include some of these links in the description of this episode so that if you want to support uh, the writers, you can. And some of the suggestions here are if you have uh, a strike happening in your area, you can join them at the picket line there. Uh, or you can donate to Entertainment Community Fund, which is uh, basically a a charity that goes towards people in the entertainment industry because most people in the entertainment industry aren't paid anything or they are paid some but they're not paid very much um the people who make hundreds of thousands of dollars are very few and far between um in the actors and writers industry and there's also a google sheet full of ideas that you can f just full of ideas that you can do to support the writers and um sag has a link on its site to emergency financial assistance and disaster relief fund for um, actors who are in great need for finances. So mm -hmm. I'll post those links in the episode description. Oh, and other news. I got a new audio setup. <laughs> are we, are we concluding the writer strike conversation? Yeah, might as well. Okay. Got a new audio setup. Very exciting. Um, I finally got a focus, right? Scarlet. So, you know, I'm legit and, uh, SM58. You know what? This is a great time to record at TikTok. Follow us on TikTok at Post Production Pod. Rachel, you're going to be in it so people remember that there's two of us. Incredible. Okay. Ah! It's front facing. I was not anticipating that. Here we go. Okay. Wait. How does. I've forgotten how to TikTok. We post on here sometimes. I keep like. Uh, all right. I'm not used to a really good microphone. Here we go. All right, new audio setup alert. I finally have a Focusrite Scarlet, so you know I'm legit. Here we have a, an XLR cable, which is brand new. I Woo! got some XLR cables and an SM58, very exciting. Rachel with her new haircut, excellent. And I got these like massive headphones. <laughs> I'm not used to these uh, Live, love, like, plugged in. Yeah, 
Oh, they can't hear you on here. Anyway, this is the podcast where we have new audio. Thank you. All right. That was incredibly unsmooth. I'm going to do that again. <laughs> Later. Nice. A Focusrite Scarlet and SM58 and a good pair of headphones are like sort of the um, the entry level, like, I don't know. It's like your first step into audio land. And I must warn you, now that you've done it, you will be hooked. I am. Yeah. Like <laughs> after this, you're going to be like, oh, I could use a good pair of studio monitors. And then before you know it, you've spent $3,000 on Sweetwater.com. And you're best friends with your Sweetwater engineer. Oh. Are you best friends with your Sweetwater engineer? <laughs> I To clarify, I haven't spent $3,000 of my own money on Sweetwater. <laughs> but I am best friends with both my church's Sweetwater rep and my personal Sweetwater rep. You have your own personal Sweetwater rep? I keep talking so close to the microphone. I'm not used to that. I need... Back up, Kira. Um, okay. Anyways, this is a shout out to Darcy. She's my my Sweetwater rep for like any of my personal purchases. She's a queen. She calls me every time I purchase and we talk about like playing guitar in bars. It's a good time. Sweet. Darcy, if you're listening, I love you. I love you too. I haven't met you, but... Anyways, in conclusion, this has been like kind of a wild catch-up episode. Oh, yeah. But, uh... Now y'all know all the details of why Kiri and I have been MIA, and I'm about to be MIA again, recovering from surgery, so wish me luck. Yep. Feel free to binge our old episodes while you wait. Yeah, true that. You can support us by listening to all of our old episodes, because we lost our stats recently when we migrated hosts. So that was fun. Mm -hmm. And if you want to support the writers and the actors that are currently striking for fair compensation. Kiri will include those links in the bio. And uh, where can they find us, Kiri? You can find us on TikTok, as I mentioned, at Post Production Pod. We also have a website, postprodpod.com. Um, Rachel and I have Instagram accounts. I am at Kiri, K-Y-R-I underscore Jones. And Rachel is at Rachel H-N-H or Rachel, as we know her affectionately. Indeed. Yeah, so be sure to follow us. You can leave a comment on some of those platforms or, or a good review, and we would greatly appreciate that. It boosts the algorithm so we can share our stories and our experiences with others who might be interested in the media production industry. Indeed. All right. And with that, this has been a very long episode of... The, the Post Production, Production Podcast. What's the What's the strike song from Newsies? Oh, you're asking too much of a brain that's on a lot of painkillers. Is it Is that the one? Mighty or is it fine line carrying the I don't think that's the strike song. Well, maybe it. I don't even know. Anyways, I'm gonna stop recording. Yeah. All right. Goodbye, everyone. <laughs>